I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we dare our as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we attempt to discern the hearts of men so that we might better discern our own motives. I'm Aaron Bishop, and my beautiful wife Rebecca is here with me. Hey. And today we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. So, how have you been liking this trip through Ecclesiastes, the slow burn through it? Um, It is definitely a heavy book. It's, it is hard to parse out some of this stuff. On the surface, it seems kind of, in some places, it seems very easy to understand. But when you really try to put it all together, it's not so easy. Right. Yeah. Have you noticed any of it applying in your daily life, like as you're going through life? And Yes, I have. In fact, it was amazing. The other day, I was having a conversation with a complete stranger and... Verses from Ecclesiastes came into my head, and I was able to use them. It was kind of amazing. Sweet. Yeah, I found myself in conversations as well, bringing up thoughts from Ecclesiastes. And and even in reading other verses or Bible study, uh, noticing other authors of the Bible who say things that are very similar to what Solomon is saying here. For example, the the parable of Yeshua, where he talks about the man who builds the tower and fills it with all the grain, and then he dies before he's able to use it. Well, guess what? We're actually going to cover that type of guy today. Yep. And that futility. And the futility Absolutely. that Yeshua was speaking of in that parable. I think that's one of the beautiful things about Bible study and, and really digging into scripture is that you'll recognize that there are themes throughout the entire scripture and you're going to, the more that you read it, the more that you dig in, the more that you really take in this book that we were given, uh, the more you're going to see connections and you're going to see how this plays into that, plays into that, plays into this other thing. Right. And, and just be able to see this huge spider web of intentionality interconnected thoughts. I've heard it described as hyperlinks. Yes, that's a good one. The, the hyperlinks that, that move you from place to place in Scripture that you read one thing and it causes you to think of ten others in Scripture. And then when, then when you go and read that, you think it points to something else. And you go and read that and it points to something else. And it's just constantly never-ending cycle of digging deeper and deeper and deeper into this, this beautiful work that is the Bible. So today is a rather short chapter which I'm not going to promise anything, but might mean for a short episode. <laughs> we'll see how this all turns out. But it only has a couple things to, to really kind of dig into. So so let's go ahead and open up and read this chapter, and then we will come back and discuss. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 There is a misery that I have seen under the sun, and it is heavy upon humanity. 
God gives a man riches, wealth, and honor, so that he lacks nothing that his heart desires, yet God does not enable him to eat from it. Instead, a foreigner will eat it. This is fruitless, an agonizing illness. Even if a man should father a hundred children and live many years, however many the days of his years may be, yet his soul is never satisfied with his prosperity, and he does not have a proper burial, then I say that it is better for a stillborn than him. Even though it comes in futility and departs into darkness, though its name is shrouded in darkness, though it has never seen or experienced the sun, it has more rest than the other. Even if the other man were to live a thousand years twice and never enjoy good things, do not all go to the same place? All a man's labor is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. So what advantage has the wise over the fool? What does the pauper gain by knowing how to walk before the living? Better is what the eyes see than the pursuit of the soul's desires. This, too, is fleeting and striving after wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and it has been made known what humanity is. But man cannot contend with the one who is mightier than he. When there are many words, futility increases. How does that benefit anyone? For who knows what is good for one during his life, during the few days of his fleeting life, that pass like a shadow? For who can tell a person what happens after him under the sun? So Ecclesiastes chapter 6, what stuck out to you from it as you were reading through it? The story of two different men. Explain. Kind of. Well, it's the story of the one guy who, who has wealth and honor and everything, and then it's taken from him from in one way or another. And I think he kind of is calling back to the end of Ecclesiastes 5. But then there's this other guy who has, you would assume, wealth, but definitely has hundreds of children and has anything he could want and is never satisfied. Yeah, Solomon is digging into the futility of possessions or of pursuing possessions as an end or a goal in itself. But he's recalling back even further than chapter 5. Back in chapter 4, there was the man who worked for possessions and didn't have anyone to pass it on to, uh, which yeah. is also a connection. And, and I kind of see the man who now has hundreds of children and he lives many years. I kind of see him as the other side of that coin. Although we kind of talked about him, the man in chapter 5, the man who has... Has money, but then he loses it all in, in a bad investment. Right, who has all the money, but then has nothing to pass on to his children. We kind of talked about him as the corollary to the man from chapter 4 last week. Mm -hmm. So this man is, I guess, the third side of this three-sided coin <laughs> once again. But before that, uh, as you said, there's this great evil which I've seen under the sun. Uh, once again, he's he, he's going to be comparing good and evil. And we're actually going to get a really good insight into this uh, defining good and evil before the end of the chapter. But there's this evil, which I've seen under the sun, great among men. The man who's given riches and wealth and glory, and he lacks nothing of what he desires, and he doesn't get to eat of it. So how can he lack nothing that his heart desires and yet not be able to actually eat it? <laughs> because he's taken from it. This is the man that Yeshua was talking about in his parable. 
the man who has the storehouses, and he yes. says, I'm going to build more storehouses. I'm going to take down my storehouses and, and build, build again. bigger, right? Yeah. And just so I can hold more, I can have more possessions and more riches. And then he dies. This man doesn't get to eat of it. He says, The foreigner consumes it. Now, I find that maybe a bit prophetic. How so? Well, this is Solomon, right? The first king of the unified kingdom of Israel. Oh, right. Who had just vast and vast amounts of wealth. And his children, he had many, many, many children. Mm. He's that man. He he is able to use his wealth, and I, I hope he's able to see the good in his life, especially after writing all this. He's able to sit back and contemplate and, and look back on the good of his life, whether or not he was able to while he was in it is another question. But then his sons squander it all, and... By the end, whether northern kingdom or southern, it is all completely devoured by the enemy. Mm-hmm. The Assyrian Foreigners Empire. Come and take it all. Right. The Assyrian Empire comes and takes all of the uh, the goods of the northern empire. And then 150 years later, Babylon comes through and takes everything in Judea and strips them of all of their goods, including all of the golden vessels from the temple. and Everything of value is taken to Babylon. All of this gold that, that was stored up, all of these things that were so beneficial, the, the riches of the people of the time of Jeremiah. Right. And when you read Jeremiah, you actually encounter a lot of these people who are, who are rich and wealthy and have servants. And Jeremiah convinces them to cut a covenant to let their servants go. And they do it and they walk between the pieces. And then, and then they, because say, of their yeah, things, be- I want them back. Right. Because of the things, because of the lifestyle, they enter back into oppression mm-hmm. and begin to oppress the people under them once again, forcing them back into slavery through force. And it's at that point that God just basically says, you know what? I'm, I'm done with you guys. You're terrible. You had the chance and you completely blew it. And it's done. It's over. Well, they broke the covenant and that they made, walking through the pieces. Right. So they were going to be torn asunder, just right. like the pieces. Right. They were torn asunder and their goods were distributed to the nations. Uh, the, the curses of Leviticus chapter 27 and Deuteronomy 27 through 28 being carried out on Israel at that time. And the uh, even the book of Lamentations then kind of goes into... Just all of the things that were lost, that were destroyed. Their temple and their homeland and everything else. Yeah. Right. And their children. and This section, it, it, it's a hyperlink. It's a hyperlink. <laughs> it's Absolutely. a hyperlink to the history of Israel. And it is in some ways prophetic uh, as it points to the future of Israel and the uh, even the futility of everything that David and Solomon built as it all came crashing down and was spread throughout the world. So then it goes on to this other man, and this other man actually takes quite a while to, to go through. Um, it's, what, four verses for the second man to describe Out of him. 12? That's kind Out of Out of 12, yeah. That's, yeah. It's, he gets quite a bit of a, a real estate in the uh, book of Ecclesiastes. And this is the man who has a hundred children. He lives many years. It says in verse 6, that, and though he live a thousand years twice over, so he's lives 2,000 years, longer than anyone that's ever lived. But his His being is not satisfied with the good. And he does not have a proper burial. 
I find that fascinating. I mean, I know that they definitely gave um, honor to sleeping with your fathers, that kind of mentality. Right, honoring those who have gone before. Right. And, and I think it's more just idiomatic. You know, this is the place where my ancestors went, was into the ground or into this cave or whatever. So they're going to sleep with the ancestors. They're right. going into this cave as well. But yeah, the idea of not having a proper burial or a grave, a place to be buried, it was a dishonorable thing to not be buried, mm -hmm. to be left out, to be left for animals or crows or just anything to come and desecrate your carcass. Yeah, absolutely. That was a huge dishonor, a huge, you could have been the greatest man on the earth. Uh, I mean, we, we see this with Jezebel. Right. She had absolutely. everything and was thrown to the dogs and dogs ate her. Her body, and that was a huge shame. Putting this just this final stamp of shame on everything she did, regardless of what honor she may have garnered in the world from the sycophants around her, that ending ended it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that's kind of what he's by dogs. right. <laughs> yeah, so, such a lovely word picture. Right. So this person is describing, and we can all kind of, I think, see people like this in the world or we've seen people like this in movies or entertainment but they have the world they have everything they 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 don't need any more and yet they continue to scheme they continue to be mean they continue to greedily just gather to themselves they're never satisfied never satisfied with what Complain they have all the time right. want more want more this isn't good enough right they're never, yeah, they they can't just be happy with what they have and they can't enjoy what they have because there's always something more that they have to have. Or they're even negative and down on the things that they do have, even though, that oh, they, right. even though they've got it. Right. It's not good enough. Well, my house isn't as big as his house, that, that keeping up with the Joneses type mentality or... Right. I know I renovated my bathroom two years ago, but now I really need to redo it because the tile that I picked is just a little off so color outdated. or outdated or whatever. Right. And we've all known people like that who are just completely unsatisfied with the good things that they do have. They always have to have more. They always got to got to pursue more. They've always got to take more. They've always they're just unsettled, unsatisfied, un unhappy with their current state. Mm -hmm. And that's this man. And Solomon says it's better that this man be stillborn. Mine says premature birth, but uh, in the ancient Near East, a, a premature birth would be a stillborn. There were no NICU units. There were no incubators. There were no oxygen tanks. If you came out too early, you're dead. You're dead. It was just all there was to it. And so this, he compares, he says it's better for this man who's unable to find the good in his life, even though he has everything, it'd be better for him to not have been born. Even though the child, mine says it, but it's talking about the child that's stillborn, even though it comes in futility and departs in darkness, though its name is shrouded in darkness, and though it has never seen or experienced the sun, it has more rest than the other. Right. Wow, that is like, that is extreme and it's powerful and you can almost feel the weight of that. Right. It reminds us of Job, 
the man who had everything and it was taken by foreigners. Yeah. And in his in his sorrow and his wallowing in his misery, he cursed the day he was born. It'd been better if I had not been born. Very same conclusion. Right. Absolutely. To then to experience this, to go through this this shame, this hurt, this heartache, this this loss. And to a degree, I think we can all kind of resonate with this and because we we've we all, all know loss. We've been there. Right. We've been that person who cannot be satisfied. We've been that right. person who truly doesn't need all the things that we want. We get our wants and our needs confused so many times. Yeah, that's the absolute truth. And we've been this person and recognizing that we're unsatisfied, recognizing that we're striving after the wind. That, I think, is kind of the point yeah. of the whole book, really. Hey, watch what you're striving for. Don't do these things, you know? Yeah, don't don't make the physical your focus. The physical is good. The physical is, is wonderful. It, it is a blessing from God to live in and to experience the physical. But don't make the acquiring of things your focus. And Yeshua even said it, you know, where your treasure is there, your heart is also. So store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, rather than here on earth where moth and rust destroy. He's calling back to the same idea. The physical goods, your physical things, they're, they're futile. They're gonna, they're gonna wear away. They're gonna go away and they're gonna get destroyed. They're gonna, Armies are going to come through and burn them down or tear them away from you. Um, Hurricanes, tornadoes. Death's going to happen. Sickness is going to happen. We live in a fallen and corrupt world. We can't escape these things. They are, yeah, they are part of our broken existence. So when you have it, enjoy it. But don't make it the it. Right. Because there's something much bigger and much grander out there than the things that you own. Uh, again, it's that quote from the movie, the things that you own end up owning, owning you. Uh, that, that quote just sticks with me and has for many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just such a profound truth to that. When you, when you have a lot of things, those things end up owning you and your life then becomes dedicated to upkeeping those things or getting more things or supporting those things. And then in verse 7, the, the deepest truth. This is the proverb. This is the verse that this entire chapter revolves around chiastically. It's, all the labor of a man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. Mm. That is a profound verse, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's not one I necessarily want to put on a plaque and hang on my wall, <laughs> but it absolutely does resonate because we eat three times a day and we're hungry right more than three times a day right and many of us if we don't get that food we get hangry right it it affects our moods and our relationships and how we treat people if we don't get our food and this was this was not a society like ours where we can you know where we just sit and work on computers or go to offices this this was a society where your labor frequently was in the field, mm. hoeing and, and sowing and all of that. Caring for animals right. or building buildings or 
Yeah. So it, it was much more of a blue collar society than ours. Very labor intensive. Um, even even writing books, even even the smart people spent their time hands cramped over desks with candles to well, see with. Yeah, they trying had to, to make form. their own paper. They right. had to. They had to make their own ink. The, they had yeah, to, all everything. of that. Right. So it's not. It it was a very labor intensive world. But to think that all a man's labor is for his mouth. And his appetite is not satisfied. Our world's the same way. Our right. ours might not be as as blue color across the entire known world as theirs was, but we certainly still labor constantly to satisfy our our needs, our wants, our desires. Right. I was watching a, a video the other day on the uh, let's just call it the dangers of TikTok, um, and how it is. It is designed specifically to feed our appetites. Um, just its design interface, the way that the scrolling works, the scrolling up and down, and then you pause for a second and it starts scrolling side to side on things that you like. And just that causes pleasure responses in our mind. Um, That's so weird. It, it really is, but it, <laughs> it, they're, they're keying into very real mechanisms in our brains that God put there to help us to survive in this world. Hmm. For example, uh, another video I watched is about how to trick your brain into being awake. Yeah. So, you know, it's the middle of the afternoon, you're falling asleep, uh, you're having trouble keeping your eyes open, and everything's just so tired. Well, what you can do is you can look up for 30 seconds. doesn't even have to be a light up there. Just look up. Crane your neck up, move your eyes up, and just look up, and your brain will will be tricked into waking up you will be stimulated yeah your brain will stimulate you to wakefulness because it's a mechanism that's built into our minds based on i hate to say animals but there is a animal part to our human nature our instinct and some of those are built well, in physiologically into our our very structures in our mind right it's just something that we have lost over the centuries because we don't do the same actions that we did at the beginning. We we aren't as connected to them, mm-hmm. but we are. We are. They still exist in humans. Right. It's only been in several generations, and these are so hardwired into our minds and into our, our physiology that we're not losing them anytime soon. Right. Uh, and the pleasure responses, the dopamine drips are just like that. So even even though we're not out in the fields laboring for our appetites, we're still feeding our appetites through the things that we do, yeah. whether it's playing the game, whether it's listening to the podcast, whether it's um, scrolling through Facebook, Facebook or TikTok yeah. or Twitter or whatever else that you might be scrolling through, watching some videos, you're feeding your appetites. Right. And as soon as it's gone, we've actually trained ourselves within five seconds. We're wanting to look at our phones again. We're, yeah. Within, within just a few minutes, if without it, we start fiending. We start having withdrawals and wanting that next hit. You can't go through a commercial without looking at your phone while the commercial is playing on the screen. Right. And God forbid you end up in the bathroom without your phone. Right. Oh, my goodness. There's only it's so torture. many times you can read a shampoo bottle. <laughs> 
but but this this verse it's much more than just going out into the fields and laboring or or your physical work your employment that you do for money which is still feeding your appetites but there's it's the it's even the pleasure and the entertainment that we take in mm-hmm. it, it's so fleeting and so passing that it uh yeah it it's feeding on wind something a friend of ours likes to say frequently is you are what you eat right so make sure what you eat's worthwhile. Right. Yeah, make sure it's worth worth actually eating. And he definitely means that more than just food. Right, it is it is metaphor. So that uh that truth of verse seven, I mean, we could just stop there on that parable and it would all be worth it. All right. Well, thanks for joining so us. Next um, week we will be covering. A, <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and. Oh, and okay, do the rest okay, of it. okay. So, verse eight: What advantage has the wiser of the fool? What advantage does the poor have? Who knows how to walk before the living? I mean, okay, you're you're a fool. You know how to fake it. You know how to walk before the people around you. You're a wise man. What advantage is either of those? So again, he's in this nihilistic um, mindset, you know. What does it matter if I'm wise or if I'm a fool? What does it gain me in reality? Yeah, what's the point? What's the point? Going back to chapter two where he's talking about I pursued knowledge and I pursued foolishness. And neither one gained him anything. Right. He did settle, though, on it's better to be wise simply because your life will be easier. Right. But then he also says, you know, the wise end up actually being a little more miserable than everybody else. Because they have yes, to watch them they be stupid. Watch all the stupid people make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. So it again he goes back and forth, you know, it's better to be wise, but yeah, being wise will make you a little bit more miserable than the fool who's out there just having fun. So so jaded. really, what what benefit is there to either side? And I guess that kind of it just speaks to us because how many of us would rather would want to know more or wish life were easier or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if wish, only we knew better or only if I didn't know this, yeah, you know, ignorance is bliss type mentality. Yeah. Uh, and again, we've all kind of gone through that and wanted to be more. And when we see it this way, we can kind of see that he's, he's speaking to our envy. He's speaking to our envy, the the desire to have what others have, mm. the desire to, to be what others are. And he's speaking to the contentment with who you are now. And verse 9 really goes into that. Uh, what the eyes see is better than what the desire goes after. You know, the things that you actually see that you can hold that are part of your life. It's better than they're the better than the things that you lust after, that you, you're chasing after. Um, I would go so far as to say that the things that you're surrounded with are better than what your eyes see, because in our world, we see a lot through these portals in our hands and in our, in our lap. We see so much, so much that they could never have comprehended. So I would even say, because for him, what he saw were the things that he owned, the things that he could interact with. But we see so much that we can't interact with. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And they end up many times enticing desire within us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why we don't go window shopping. Right. <laughs> right. So I know some people out there that you like to go to the store and just browse through the uh, the stores and look at what's available. And I refuse to do that. 
<laughs> yes, that is a very accurate statement because I used to like to do that. Absolutely refused to do that. And she couldn't understand why. Why don't you just want to go look? Why don't you want to go look? Because it entices need within you. It it, mm-hmm. it really causes you to want to uh, buy the thing, yeah. to get the thing. Oh, I didn't know this existed. I must have that. A garlic press? <gasps> what? <laughs> I had no idea. A salad spinner? Who Yay! knew those existed? Let's get one. <laughs> but <laughs> get He's the- making fun of me, in case you're wondering. But yeah, he's speaking to our own envy. That, that enticement for more. Uh, it's David sitting on the rooftop while the army is out to war and, and seeing the pretty woman bathing on the rooftop nearby. And, and though he has hundreds of he women. he has, he desires. He takes. Right. And, uh, I mean, frankly, guys, it's real easy in our society to get caught up in that looking at the women bathing on the rooftop, so to speak, that mm. it, it's available and it's futile. It really is. It absolutely destroys your brain. It destroys your capability for pleasure. It destroys your capability for real connection with another human. Uh, if it is something that you're involved in, I plead with you, stop, stop looking at pornography. It will destroy your relationships and you'll be unable to have healthy relationships. There's tons of science out there on just how bad pornography is for your brain and, and your psyche. But if you are caught up in it, it, it does decimate, it does destroy, but there is healing to be found. Yeah, you can come out of it. You can come out of it. You can heal and you can eventually have good relationships, good, you know, have the pleasure sensors back in your brain. You can do that, but it's a lot of hard work. It can be a lot of hard work to get there. But, uh, but yeah, it comes to reforming habits. Um, If you would like some, if you're struggling with it and you need some help getting through it, drop me a line. I've got stuff on the website. I've got Facebook pages. I've, I'm out there. Draw me a line. We can talk through it. And uh, I might be able to point you in to some resources that can really help you. Uh, regardless, moving on. Um, I, let's stay in that verse for just okay. a minute longer. Because it's, I think what he's trying to get at is better. <laughs> there was a saying going around. Better is one in the hand than two in the bush. Mm, right. <laughs> And it's better what you can see, what's tangible, what's real in front of you, than your pipe dreams. Right. I mean, so often I would find myself as a kid just dreaming, daydreaming away, dreaming my life away, and completely ignoring everything literally right in front of me. Right. And that is something that certain personality types have a lot more problem with that than others. Mine definitely does, but it's definitely something that needed to be mentioned because it's not just the, all the things that you listed, but it, it is, it is wasting your way, your life on just dreaming or, or even I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to pursue it with everything in my, in my, because I believe I can do it. And, you know, this dream of what you could be and you're 
not actually you're completely missing out on who you are right you're you're striving for this dream that you have but you're not actually living a a life that's worth living that's worthwhile and that kind of lifestyle just leaves you sad long enough just the constant dreaming the constant Mm -hmm. pursuit the not not satisfied with what you have because you have to have something more it leaves you unsatisfied and then when you get the thing that you always thought you want, it doesn't last long because your appetites will change. That's the truth of this of Ecclesiastes. That's the truth of the Bible. Your appetites will change. It will no longer satisfy, and you'll want to move on to something else. This too is fleeting and striving after wind. Oh, man. So whatever shall be has already been named, and it is known that he is the Son of Man, and he is unable to contend with him who is mightier than he. That that is speaking of the authority that we spoke of last week, that, that last little bit. He's unable to contend with the one who is mightier than he. Well, we all have someone who's mightier than us. And even if you're the king, you have someone who's mightier than you. And you're unable to contend with them. You're just the son of man. You, you are a son of Adam. You're just human. You're only human. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you can't know all ends. And that's kind of where he goes here at the the very end of this chapter. And uh, again, he touches on the importance of words. The more words, the more futility. The more you sit there and talk about the the dreams you have, the things you're going to do, the, the gossiping about people or places or things or situations. The uh, yeah, it's just it, you're increasing the futility of of your life. We kind of talked about that last week too about the. When there are many words, futility increases and and just blathering on about nothing. And we've all had those futile conversations. Yeah. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. And how does it benefit anyone? Yep. Yeah, that's, yep. that's very really accurate. Doesn't. And then uh, with verse 12, he, he really digs down to the whole the whole point of the matter. For who knows what is good for man in life, all the days of his futile life, which he passes like a shadow? For who declares to man what shall be after him under the sun? This is this is the engaging in this process of defining good and evil in our lives. Mm-hmm. The, the things that we define as good will many times end up being evil. And things right. that we define as evil in the moment will end up being the best things for us in our lives. Right. Absolutely. I can definitely relate to the second part of that for sure. Explain. I grew up sick. All the time I was sick. I was in and out of hospitals all the time. And it was just this drudgery that almost a drudgery of life in, in general. It was this constant struggle just to stay alive. And and to not hurt all the time. And it ultimately was the tool that God used to bring us to himself and... Well, to bring us to the end of ourselves. To bring us to the end of ourselves. To realize that we could not... Um, we could not do this life by ourselves without him and we needed him and it really it shook us to the core it shook our faith it shook 
our foundation, but then we realized we were building our foundation wrong and we needed it shaken so that we could rebuild. And it also has given me a real heart for other people who have who are going through really hard stuff and helps me be able to see those who are on the outside wishing that they could be involved because of this, that, and the other reason, you know? So I can definitely see where some things that we think is terrible is actually good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, who hasn't on their marriage day, on their wedding day said, this is good. And at least half of the people who get married end up seeing it as a bad thing yeah, at some eventually. future date. Yeah. I mean, that's just plain statistics. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it is a part of our life that we, we will define things as good and evil all the time. And then a year passes, a decade passes, and suddenly it's no longer the good thing that it used to be. It's right. become the evil thing in our life. And when we attempt to engage in this defining of good and evil, uh, it's so easy to delude ourselves because we define it based on our appetites. Mm -hmm. Or our desires. Right, right. We we define good and evil based on whether or not we're satisfying some appetite within us. And God's economy doesn't work that way, which is why we feel it's so important to define life versus death because – Everything goes through struggle when it when it lives, as it grows. There's pain. There's heartache. Is it evil? It sure feels like it. Mm-hmm. Yes, but does it, it does. does it produce growth in the end? Yep. Then it's a good thing. Or that good thing that you just love to have. Oh, my goodness. You just... It's so good that that chocolate cake or whatever your salad spinner. <laughs> salad spinner <laughs> just sits there and collects. Just dust. sits there and collects dust, or or makes you obese. The, the chocolate cake, not the salad spinner, <laughs> right? Makes you obese, and then it's, it ends up being a bad thing as your heart has to work harder, and it's harder to go up the stairs, and things are more difficult for you because you chased your appetites, and in the moment. Oh, boy, that was so good. In the long run, though, ugh. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's why that's why we, we have found that it is so much more beneficial to attempt to define life through a lens or to look at a life through a lens of life versus death as opposed to good versus evil. I mean, Deresh Chai, that's our motto. That's the name of our, our ministry. Is it this, means to... Pursue with the intent of catching. Right, that word dash. It's not more than just seek, as she says, in life. Life is the goal. Life is the thing that God has. It's the thing that's intangible that we can never acquire for ourselves. Which one of us could make something live? Not a single one of us could do that. That's on God. And so when you're focused on life and pursuing life, the good, the evil, it's part of life. But in the end, God is the one who gives life. So seek life. In all that you do. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to seeklifesc.com. That's seeklifesc.com. 
We'll see you again next time as we dare Shai, as we seek life. Shalom.